All right, welcome back to Movie Schmovie. It's been a, man, like we try to keep these things on some sort of schedule, but life just gets in the way. No excuses, just facts. And uh, But I'm glad that I, Steve, and my two co-hosts here, who are you out there? I'm John. Ron? Uh, if that didn't give us away, we're doing this guy remotely just so that we can get together and, uh, you know, talk some movie news. The movie gods gave us a couple nice little tidbits to chomp on today just before we were about to record this. We're recording this on, uh, what is it, Tuesday the 20th. It'll come out later this week, but uh, there's a couple big news items that dropped this afternoon that we're kind of excited to talk about. And then uh, we'll kind of just do some catch up on some movies that we caught up with finally. And uh, I don't know, maybe talk a little bit about what's coming down the pike here now that we're kind of getting out of the summer movie season and into... You know, getting into some good films coming out in September and October before Oscar season really kicks off. But uh, how have you guys been? What's what's new? Anything new? Uh, what? I mean, I I put some clothes out. I mean, I guess that's a pretty big deal for me. Um, Status apparatus, my small clothing line. I've released some stuff online and in nice. a shop in Baltimore. Nice. So that's been really fun. Just promotion and seeing how people react to it and. That's been that's been really nice. I think I think in Canada they call that progress. Pro they too. Yeah, it's do. weird, right? They, they, it's yeah. got that like that big O on there. I don't know. It's, like, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. And they apologize. Yeah, uh, for like, saying yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Sorry. So sorry about the progress. Sorry. John, what's new in uh, the world of uh, your basement refurnish uh, <laughs> renovations and all that good jazz? <laughs> I am. Looking at a space where the drywall has begun to be hung just as of today, so so that's man. pretty. That's pretty exciting. Man. But but even as the, well, thank you. But even as the drywall is hung, you start noticing little things like, wait, do these guys know that they need to leave access panels for this pipe or for that? Sure. For that valve or whatever. So we're now going through the sort of stress of, you know, trusting the professionals <laughs> that you've hired when the other so-called professionals that you've hired had to be fired. Um, the saga of our. Um, of this remodel will will one day be the it's really a good basis for a horror film it's sort of like if you took the money pit and kind of made it into a horror film mm, mm, okay. um which i think it's right there you know maybe i shouldn't be saying this on the on the podcast someone could take the idea but we'll cut, uh, we'll cut that yeah, out we'll cut it out it's, it's been such a tangled web this whole story but we are finally seeing that progress that is making it start to look like a finished space there's lights there's 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 walls nice nice uh, and there's going to be a floor some someday soon steve a floor i man, swear to god man uh <laughs> i can't wait but yeah, you know, you, we were saying that it's it's been a while, but if you look at the last episode, it came out mid to late of the last month. So yeah. I think if we look at this right now, we're on a monthly schedule. That's better than nothing. This is true. We'll one day be doing better than that. But right now, if we just... Yeah, we'll get, we'll get back on it. If we just get in there and kind of uh, remind everybody that we're here and, and I think talk about some of these topics that, that feel like we would be... Failing to serve our, our listeners if we didn't uh, chime in about, um, you know, I think this is this is going to be a fun little catch up, but we kind of got to hit the ground running. <clears throat> yeah, man, let's get into it. Absolutely. So, what's the biggest news item to to you fellas? I feel like there's two or three that came out just this afternoon before we before we started recording. So, what's the, what's the one that excites you or worries you the most? Uh, a Sony and Sony and Disney. That's the saddest one. The saddest. The one that'll be the most impactful. Is that uh, Sony has cut ties with Kevin Feige's help 
with uh, kind of intermingling Spider-Man into the Disney Marvel world. And now they're, they're going to be running independently. And all the Spider-Man offerings that we'll see from now on will be solely Sony. It's very crazy to say out loud. And for any listeners that aren't, aren't really clear on what that deal has involved, we should just say that the current Marvel movies that had Spider-Man in them, starting with Captain America Civil War where Tom Holland's version of the character started showing up. Right, that right. whole run of movies was due to this sort of, can they work out a deal, whole, this whole drama that was going on between Sony and Marvel, because they clearly wanted Spider-Man around, particularly for Infinity War. I think as far as pointing the way forward, when they were looking at saying goodbye to characters like Iron Man and Captain America, maybe they were thinking Spider-Man is a great character to have in the in the arsenal as far as bringing audiences in. Yeah. So there was this big there was this big story about whether it was going to be possible. And then in Civil War, it was something of a surprise. They did throw Spider-Man into the marketing right before that movie came out. But it was kind of like uh, a big deal at the time to say that, oh, Marvel, uh, the current Marvel movies can use Spider-Man. And that was due to, I guess, a pretty precarious deal that was always in danger of falling apart. But all of those uh, Tom Holland movies are under that deal. My impression is that Tom Holland's on board for a couple more movies. He signed on for a couple more movies as this character, this iteration of this character. So those movies theoretically will be made without Marvel, Disney, Kevin Feige's guiding hand, which means also outside the auspices of this interconnected universe of movies that we've come to appreciate. What do you guys think that means for the character? If the same director, John Watts, is also contracted for those films, will the movies feel the same? Will they Will they be different? Will, could they be more unique and more uh, their own thing at this point? Or, or is it, uh, does it sort of feel like a bad thing to do to this character? I mean, my, my initial take is that it's definitely a bad decision. I mean, like we were saying earlier, I, I can kind of see both sides, you know, can be made for, or I can understand both points being made by both Sony and, and Disney or Marvel Studios, but it just seems like so much legwork was done to kind of, in, in, kind of integrate this uh, iteration of Spider-Man into the MCU. And obviously it's paid amazing dividends for Sony, for the MCU, for everybody involved to the point that, you know, Sony's at a point where they feel like the moment that Disney on behalf of Marvel says, you know, we need a little more of the box office returns of what these movies are making, considering that Far From Home is now officially Sony's highest grossing film ever. Um, you know, so it, it's just the kind of thing where it's just like, this is just business getting dirty. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember a while ago, I read this article that really kind of broke down how weird this deal was. And kind of who did what for how long and like how the character could exist in the MCU. There were rumors that there was like a cameo shot for Venom where Peter Parker showed up in that world, but not as Spider-Man. Um, as Peter Parker and as Tom, I mean, Tom Holland as Peter Parker, but that was like scrapped because... Sony at that point had plans to develop their own little Spider-Man universe, and that's obviously like their angle now. I mean, I can't believe that they would want to go that route after only having one successful film, that being Venom, um, that didn't have Marvel Studios' involvement. I mean, they just relaunched Spider-Man, like, what, what was it, five years ago with Andrew Garfield, which... Wasn't a complete flop by any means, but it it was it nowhere near the heights of what this achieved and beyond box office, like just the the retcon they've done for the character and where he fits into any kind of universe. It would just be insane to me to think about Tom Holland or John Watts or 
or any of that stuff existing still without being able to even acknowledge anything from the MCU. Because, I mean, that's basically what I've been reading is that, you know, if that if this sticks and either Holland or Watts or Feige or, or Tom Rothman, the, the head of, uh, of uh, Sony, doesn't come to the table with some sort of agreement or some sort of meeting in the middle, that's really what that next movie would have to be. Like, they would not be able to acknowledge one another. And <clears throat> nothing that happened in the MCU with this Spider-Man character could be mentioned. And... That's just wild to me. Uh, you know, there's so much groundwork, like, especially like John was saying, like they put a lot on Spider-Man in these last couple Marvel films. And it's very clear that it's been set up that he is intended or was intended to be like a core part of what's going forward in the MCU. And I just don't even know how that affects the rest of the MCU movies, let alone what they plan on doing with Spider-Man. And like what Sony intends to do with Spider-Man. Um, the timing is really interesting also because obviously Spider-Man just became their biggest film ever. That Sony, that is. And all these announcements are coming out now about Venom 2 starting to shoot and Andy Serkis directing it. Uh, was it uh, Robert Richardson, the guy who just shot Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is the, doing the cinematography for it? Like It's got a lot of positive publicity happening for this Venom sequel. Um whether or not you like Andy Serkis as a director or not. But, I mean, there's positive things happening all amongst the idea of Sony having their biggest film ever. So it it comes off as, like, they kind of have control of this situation from, from a dollar standpoint. But just from a pure quality standpoint, I, I can't imagine that they would completely screw this relationship up to the point that Disney and Feige just literally walk away without being able to touch this character again. It just blows my mind. Well, I mean, Feige's got a lot of characters in the arsenal. They just got the X-Men and the Fantastic Four back for the future. So they have the ability to make plans that maybe would make them not miss Spider-Man as much as they would otherwise miss him. But it's clear, like you said, yeah. like, it's clear that there were plans for this and that like, there was intended to be an arc and especially the way that Far From Home ended, Spider-Man Far From Home ended. Right. Um, there's this suggestion of what was up for that character and it yeah. feels like a really interesting angle to have thrown into the mix of this whole Marvel thing. Totally. But if, as we've been saying, these franchises were going to break down and do their own thing anyway... Is it possible that we could still get a couple of really good Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland in the character? It's It'll just have that weird question, that little air of what the fuck uh, hanging around it, no matter what they do at this point. What do you think, Ronald? Do you think there's any chance these movies could be just fine? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think the problem, though, is that... Um, so, let's let's say... Let's talk about DC for a second, just because it, it kind of represents what this is, right? They have some staple characters that are unmovable, that people will always buy merch for. Batman, Superman, <laughs> Batman, Superman. That's pretty much it. I mean, in terms of just, like, iconology, right? You see, like, uh, you see the logo, you're like, this is something I want to buy. Spider-Man is that for the Marvel Universe. He is a form of their Superman, a form of their Batman. The issue is that it's this isn't like Freddy versus Jason, right? This is This is something that's always been a part of the world every place but the the cinema world because of decisions that were made in the 90s late 90s early 2000s i think i think it is very possible i mean we saw into the spider-verse which was not a marvel disney touched movie that was produced 
written by and done by somebody within the studio. No, no tampering by Disney, and it was a fucking incredible movie. Sure, so sure. that's possible. But but the issue is, what Marvel Disney offers is kind of, for lack of a better term, a cookie cutter blueprint of how something can be at least decent. They know they play by numbers, man. They know how, they know the things to hit on to make one movie, regardless of. Who, what you know about that person be a decent movie. Sony doesn't have that advantage. I don't know if they have that technique down pat, right? Venom doesn't feel like the same level as Homecoming, although Venom was a, a very solid movie, right? It, it just didn't feel like it was on the same level. It, it kind of just went for a bunch of things and a couple things stuck, and it wound up being a decent movie, whereas if... It was a Marvel Disney produced Venom movie. There would be some things that get hit on, some story thing. Also, Sony doesn't seem to care about comic books. I know that sounds weird. So but true. It's very good point. They don't seem to care. Like, I don't like Kevin Feige. I've expressed this a million times, but what I do like about him is that he loves comics. He loves it. He loves to keep the integrity of the characters. He understands the importance of a person seeing a movie. And it being, you know, kind of faintly close to the comic or faintly close to a cartoon that they've seen or faintly close to something that it it rings kind of, you know, you have a soft spot for it. Sony doesn't have that same care with their characters. And that's what I'm afraid of. It's not that they won't make a good movie, but can they make two? That's Tom Holland has two more movies. Can he make can they make two in a row that? abide by some you know i don't know can it be true to the comic can it be a little different but not shit on the fans right yeah they they do it a lot so that's what i'm afraid of yeah it's interesting i mean i I don't disagree that like you know yeah sure they produce into the spider-verse and i there's a lot of uh other hands in that production house of like of who put that film out that may have had a lot to do with how great it was too. I just right, think right, I just absolutely. think when you think back and revert to you know how Sony's been handling this piece of IP themselves prior to Marvel's involvement, it just seems like you know like the point you just made about like not really loving comics or really um, putting as much of a focus on it as a fan. I don't, I don't know that that exists. I mean, obviously Watts and Holland, if they're still involved, I mean, I'm sure there will be some carryover from, you know, it's just, I guess the big take, the big like catch for me is just like all the legwork that went into building a story around this character that people are super into and care about. I mean, like he's one of the most, like kind of quoted or talked about characters from some of the more recent Avengers or Captain America movies. Like, you know, there's great lines. There's moments that are just like favorite moments from any of these films for some people. So it's just weird that, you know, eventually, obviously this would happen, but it's, it's odd that it would happen so quickly after this type of kind of paramount moment uh, for the character and for the, for the MCU I mean, hopefully, I don't know. I guess I'm still trying to be uh, optimistic that maybe they can figure this out or if it's over stupid stuff like production credits or like weird stuff like that, that they can figure it out if it's not just money. Um, but, I mean, I would love to see them continue it and 
eventually do their own thing. But I mean, I just would love to see the MCU be able to kind of see where their iteration of Spider-Man goes as intended, obviously with two films still in the, in the line of like films that they were, were planning on doing. Right. I think that's where I am is, is I just am very curious about particularly the way that last movie ended with, with the way that that cliffhanger played out at the end of uh, Far From Home, right. as far as just suggesting a new kind of phase for this character that I do think would be fun to watch un- unfold against the backdrop of all the other characters that we've come to know. Totally. So yeah, I think that I think a lot of times it's similar to the James Gunn situation. And now he's back in doing Guardians Volume 3. But there was that period where him not getting it on top of it being sort of a, you know, a, a trumped up charge, if you will, that was that was lobbed at him that uh, was not really made in good faith by some kind of nasty people. And that that's what took James Gunn off of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in the first place. The fact that he's now back in on that, uh, and he's making a Suicide Squad film for DC in between, uh, getting fired and rehired by, by Disney, there's this whole, well, maybe anything can happen you know, Marvel now has the X-Men and Fantastic Four again. They were unlikely to get Spider-Man in the first place and they got him. So maybe this is just a bit of publicity. It could be. Chest beating around trying to make some kind of deal. But I guess I still don't know if I understand the narrative of how things fell apart. Who was asking for too much? Who wanted who wanted more right. of a cut? Like maybe more news will fill out that picture of, of where, where the problem was. But at this point, it seems like why not just keep this deal in place for the next couple movies? And then at that point, Sony does have Venom. They do have Spider-Verse. They do have all these things that they can continue to work on that are outside of that Marvel thing, but why not sort of share the wealth for this one very successful version of the character? But, you know, money, I've, I, I guess if I understood it, I'd have more of it. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, think the, I think the big thing that I've read was that basically as it exists now, Disney gets like 5% of the box office, but 100% of merchandising and and Sony gets a and the other ninety five of the box office, which in this case, you know, for Far From Home is massive. And what the Disney originally went to the table with was asking for a fifty fifty split over production and the box office, so they would be as responsible for production budget and also be able to kind of get that larger payout in the end. You know, so it's not just asking for more in the end; it's offering more up front too. But Without coming back and like kind of negotiating, reportedly, Sony just declined and is you know hit the kill switch uh, uh, apparently. But I mean, hopefully, they figure something out and just get along for a little longer. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe, maybe we'll see. More to come, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, speaking of more to come, the last time that we recorded, we had sort of just given a, a, a mention of the fact that Marvel had not yet announced a big slate of movies the way they did a few years back. And yeah. the question we had was whether they needed to. And I guess a lot of what we've said already has kind of hinted at this, just this vague idea of what they might be doing going forward. What do you think of those movies that they announced at, um, I guess it was at Comic-Con? Uh, yeah. Like they, you know, like particularly the fact that we see that they've definitely confirmed the Doctor Strange sequel, and they've also got Shang Chi on the calendar, and and the Eternals. It looks like it's got a big cast, and that sounds like it's going to be something kind of special. They've definitely gone for more diversity behind the camera and in front of the camera. For sure. Did did, did anything about that particular announcement really strike you guys as exciting? Given that right now there is a, a sort of a void outside of maybe Chris Hemsworth and maybe uh, the. Um, the Guardians, there's a little bit of a void of, of 
big box office guaranteed star power. I mean, maybe we can we can throw ScarJo in there. She's a she she opens movies, but you know they they did lose a couple of big uh, money makers with uh, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. Does does the future look bright? Ooh, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, this is this is a weird thing that they're doing. I mean, this leg of whatever the slates. I mean, it's not whatever the slate. The, <laughs> this leg of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the most unknown set of movies that I've ever seen for any movie studio ever. And I think the fact that they're trying to create new new heroes, create new mythologies that people just don't know about. I mean, not create them so much as, but create them in a cinematic universe is really interesting. And it could rush they could have rushed the whole x-men thing they could rush the whole fantastic four thing but it's very apparent to me that they're just trying to slow cook that thing so the next couple years you know i know they're going to be sprinkled throughout the movies that we're going to be seeing but the fact that they're going for a bunch of really really lesser known than iron man back in the day sort of characters is a testament to how confident they are that these movies are going to be good and that makes me happier than anything else in the world, to be honest with you. So, yeah. I concur. I like the fact that there's a bit of a question mark that Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of an outside shot, even for casual fans of comics. And this current slate seems like it's going for stuff that is just able to be defined more on screen, even for people who, who were more into it. Like, I don't know if you had any real association with Shang-Chi or with the Eternals. I know no. I know they both have pretty rich mythologies in the comics, so it's kind of something I just missed. But um, the fact that they're going for something like that, that, you know, I don't know that they have any more giant marquee names in the stable at the moment, but it, it, is, uh, it is interesting just that they can kind of create something new for, for all kinds of audiences, and it can maybe feel a little bit like that excitement of seeing Guardians of the Galaxy the first time, where people were seeing you know a single movie try to create this whole world, rather than it having this feel of kind of interdependent movies that, um, you know, as many people have said, it does start to feel a bit more like a television series at times, rather than a series of movies. And if you have like a whole new mythology that your movie is getting to explore, that might help it out, the way that Black Panther was helped out, by feeling like it was its own thing. It was yeah. a whole new world that people were seeing. Absolutely, man. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. So, I guess another big exciting bit of news is Matrix 4, with uh, Lana Wachowski coming back to make a film with uh, the principals intact. At least Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves are confirmed for it, right? That's that's a crazy announcement I didn't expect, but it seems like now we're in the age of why not. If you can bring it back, bring it back. Right. (laughs) Um, Are you guys excited about it? How are you guys feeling about it? I'm super excited about it. Me too. <laughs> me too. I just, I just hope it's not. I hope it's not a prequel. The only thing that worries me is that they're like there was a mention of like recasting Morpheus as a younger actor, which oh, no. I don't. I don't know exactly what that means, but I mean, I'll I'll, I'll 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 sit back and wait. I mean, this is something that's been rumored for a long time, and you know, production rights, all that kind of red tape shit that was happening over the years. I just think everything kind of seems to be lining up and. You know, Keanu has probably never been as relevant or as popular or as as hot right now uh, as he is. I'm sorry, as he is right now, rather, um, with John Wick and Toy Story and filming Bill and Ted 3 and just being apparently, and I have no doubt, one of the best human beings around. Um, it's just awesome to see this possibly coming back. I've always at least 
really admired and respected the Wachowski sisters, just like in terms of what they put out and how audacious they are and how they just swing for the fences and some fail, some succeed. And, um, I, I would just, I just, I'm super stoked to see what the story is. I love the idea of Carrie Ann Moss coming back and just going back into that world and seeing, seeing what's up. I mean, I love that. I love the matrix is like maybe one of my top 10, 15 movies ever. And, uh, I would, I just would be, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm super pumped to see what, what comes of this over the next couple of years, I'm sure. But I mean, it's cool to hear that it's going in the direction where there's a script and it's happening and, and it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, matrix is a same. One of my favorite movies. Um, I bought the the conversions, the 4K that came out pretty recent, recently digitally, and I, I was pretty excited to see those. But I was thinking, how would a Matrix movie look if it was filmed, you know, this year or next year? How would that look in 4K? How would it look, you know, with the high-end cameras that they have Man. now? I'm really pretty excited about how that's going to look. I really hope they don't CG it all up. I hope there's some practical stuff. Right. Um but yeah, it's it's the idea of that coming out now, like you were saying with Keanu Reeves being as relevant as he is, and just having range. He he has a lot of range as an actor. Yeah, I'm super excited. Bring on the Matrix. Even not being the biggest fan of the Matrix, or at least not the rabid fan that, that so many people were, I was always able to appreciate the kind of the visual style that it had and the way that it was one of those films that became instantly influential and you could see how many people were taking yeah. what they had done and kind of running with it. Yeah. And as I look back now, as often is the case with movies that seemed pretty good when they were new, you look back and go, oh, you know what? That was a well-constructed movie. And that script really did a great job of spelling out that premise of the sort of brain in the vat yes. uh, uh, created reality. I mean, at, at the time, I think I scoffed a little bit at how many people's minds were blown by what to me so, seemed like an old sci-fi idea. But I, I don't think that I was immune to the charms of just the way the movie was put together and the way that like the look and the feel and the effects felt so so fresh. And then to see culture kind of regurgitate it for the next 10 or 15 years, I think that sometimes you can blame the original thing for all the copycats. But when you go back <laughs> to that original thing, and especially an older movie, often you notice a script that's really well constructed or visual storytelling that's just really clean. And the Wachowski sisters have always had that sense of going for something that yeah. every movie they put out has some goal and some ambition to it that even if I sometimes kind of roll my eyes at the at the movie I I'm always interested in just the idea that they are continuing to work and the fact that they think they or at least Lana I don't know if the uh, other uh Wachowski is on this movie but um just this notion that they have something that they're going back for maybe it's because with today's technology they can do so much more or whatever it is but just the notion that there's an idea to be mined, I don't doubt that it'll be interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited at that kind of news because like I said, we are in that franchise rejuvenation era where you're just waiting for it to come back. So it might as well come back with the right creative team. Definitely. Because they'd be doing the Channing Tatum version if none of those people would come back. You know, they'd figure out a way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Nothing against Channing. <clears throat> but um, yeah, other big movie that was announced, I guess, or confirmed today was uh, uh, No Time to Die, right? Is that the name of oh, the yeah. new Bond? The 25? Bond 25. I'm excited. 
How do we feel about James Bond at this point? Is this Daniel Craig's last time as the character? I'm not sure if I've heard that confirmed, but it seems like that's that's what the that's what the feeling is. I think so. I don't want to say I hope so, but I hope so. Not not because I think he's a bad Bond. I just think it's time to hand it down to someone else. Yeah, no one's supposed to squat on that character forever. That's kind of baked into the the way that we feel about it at this point. And I think he's had a pretty good run and is a, a well will be a well remembered bond at this point even though Absolutely. you know not everybody loves all of his movies i think a lot of people most people seem to like or love at least a couple of the ones that he's been in um what do we know about this movie i, I don't really know much about it except I, i've followed the tortured production history of it it's one of those movies that's had a couple of creative shakeups and delays and lots of crazy stuff happen so it's almost crazy that it's finally on the calendar like that in and itself feels like an achievement <laughs> uh well fukunaga directing it uh, I know recently, well, semi-recently, Fever Waller Bridges was brought in to like rewrite uh, a decent amount of the script, which is a positive thing. Um, <laughs> I heard a really interesting thing that she said, Steve. She said that she wasn't brought in, or she didn't want to make Bond less sexist, but she did want to make the world that he was in, in the movie, less sexist. Wow, that's... That's awesome. That's pretty amazing. But she said she wasn't striving to change the character because she thinks that Bond being kind of a pig is part of his character, and it's right. true that at, yeah, yeah, totally. at this point, what was intended to just be to just be kind of like a cool man's man character. Now they've kept with that idea, and he really does play as a you know kind of a shit. Yeah. But um, to say that the movie's going to be a little more aware of that, and and you know maybe have it blow up in his face or something. I don't know. I feel like Daniel Craig has already sort of played against that vibe more than most actors, but he still has that kind of steely jerk vibe and there is that um in skyfall that that woman who gets murdered in front of him and then he makes a a joke about scotch um instantly that always felt to me like oof that was cold you know like (laughs) like i took that as a misstep on the part of the filmmakers but maybe that was just a reminder that bond is a cold motherfucker right yeah yeah phoebe waller being involved is is pretty cool man she's she's an incredible writer and I, everything that she has her name attached to i always try to see yeah so yeah. you know her her being attached is pretty cool so i'm i'm excited about it definitely what do you think of the name is it is it too similar to other titles i feel like die's been in there a couple times die. <laughs> i love die it, it kind of feels like overkill in a way too which kind of feels like what they should do for a 25th movie yeah, like, yeah you know, I agreed yeah they're like let's let's play into this whole thing wasn't there one called die yeah. another day yes yeah so no time to die die another day that, that that's kind of a theme <laughs> he's just putting it he, he's he's putting off the inevitable yeah could i die on thursday it's is, kind of a busy is, week is that work for you <laughs> or do you want to check your calendar send you a google invite <laughs> death tbd yeah, there you go <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I was actually going to talk to you guys about. Uh, oh God, I'm going to butcher this guy's last name. Uh, da- David David Villeneuve's uh, Dune that's coming out in 2020. You mean our friend of the podcast, Denis Villeneuve? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how how are you guys feeling about the <laughs> unmakeable movie being made? You know, we've been talking about this guy's movies all along. <laughs> this is our he, that, that's definitely like he he's he's like. Um, our guy, almost as much yeah, as any director. Yeah, Okay. No, I, I'm very excited about that movie. I actually don't have the attachment to Dune. Like, I, I would think that I would have crossed paths with it in all my efforts to kind of read the important 
works over the years or just to kind of know what's going on. But my association with Dune was mostly through the David Lynch film in the 80s. And that's kind of famously uh, uh, a fiasco that doesn't really capture the spirit of the books, at least as far as most book fans I know who have have commented on it. So I'm, I'm excited to see somebody tackle any big fantasy epic like that who might do something like you know what he did with Blade Runner was very had a, had a lot of scope to it. So I'm 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 excited about the visuals and the cast, every person that they add to it. It just makes it sound like a he's kind of in that golden phase of somehow. Even though I don't think Blade Runner made a ton of money, somehow they're happy giving him a lot of uh, a lot of leeway to make a a big giant epic. Yeah, I mean I I don't have much attachment to it either. But yeah, I, I mean just seeing uh, the documentary about the failed attempt to make Dune and oh, yeah. just hearing so many people talk about how unmakeable this movie is and seeing somebody like him tackle it, who just does a really good job at just pacing and things like that. I'm, I'm super intrigued by the idea of it coming out. Yeah. Who all's in it though? I mean, it's like, I just heard David Bautista's in it. Timothy Chalamet, um, Oscar Isaac, uh, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, Javier Bardem, Charlotte, Charlotte Rampling, uh, what's that guy's name? David, uh, shit, David Desmalchian, the the guy who played like the the the, 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 like the creeper in Prisoners. Yeah, D- ah. D- Dat Shane or something. Yeah, but he's also in the, the Ant-Man movies. He's part of the crew with Michael Pena. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but like a massive, massive, like huge A-list stars. Like there's like at least like six of them or seven of them in the movie. It's like crazy. I feel like Batista's, you got to put Batista in any movie about the future. Because apparently he looks like the future. I don't, I don't know why he, that he is. He is the future, I'm, I'm, Ronald. Did you? He is the future. He is the future. Yes, yes. He is the future. That, well, that, he was really good in that small part in Blade Runner 2049. So the fact that Denny is using him again, and uh, that just makes me think maybe this will be another interesting turn for him because he actually oh, was yeah. sort of surprisingly subtle in that in that almost cameo in the Blade Runner movie. Yeah, he's great in that. Yeah. He was also kind of semi a Bond villain, like a mini Bond villain. Killed the shit out of that man at the table. Yeah, he was a henchman. Yes. He was yes. a Bond henchman. Yes. That was really cool. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah, we're, we're Team Denis, so uh, I'm I'm all in on anything he does, and I'm sure that's gonna. I mean, I'm like even further removed than probably John is. Like, I don't really have any attachment to the story, the source material, the '80s film from Lynch. My my, I mean, I'm very aware of it and what the story is and its its legacy or its following, but I have no connection to it. This would be my connection to it. This is my point of entry uh, with this film, and mainly because you know he's involved. We'll see. All right. So, what what have we seen recently? Let's uh, let's try to do a little bit of a roundup here. What what do we want to talk about here? A big movie that I know we've all seen, and that we've we've communicated about a little bit, but I don't really know your in depth thoughts about. But it's the latest Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time. In Hollywood, there's a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's a great pause. It's like a great pause. pause. It's great. It's great. <laughs> um, I, I was mad at that when I first saw that because it feels to me like a very awkward place to, to put a pause. But now I think it's kind of funny that if you're really saying it right, you've got to uh, you got to hang out for a minute. But yeah, <laughs> what did you guys, you know, every time Tarantino makes a movie, it's it's he's one of those few directors that has that kind of name recognition, in my uh, opinion, that every movie feels something like an event and there were a lot of reasons why this movie felt like a big movie. It has some big stars in it, and it has some, 
interesting uh, ways of looking at history and it surprises you in some ways and maybe fits right in with what you expect from Tarantino in, in other ways. What, what did you guys think of it and how do you think it fits in with the sort of Tarantino, this idea, doesn't, isn't it something he said that he's going to stop after making 10 movies? <laughs> and this is his ninth movie. So there's this impression that like we're counting down Tarantino films. If this is the second to last Tarantino film, how does it, uh, how does it score for you? And uh, yeah, just what did you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> well, I guess I'll go first. Um, I, I'll, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, it felt long. Uh, it felt like he was using film. So he was like, you're going to see every piece of this highway. You're going to see every piece of this California road. I, th I feel like that was a lot of stuff that could have just been left on the floor that could have made this a shorter film. But it did create a mood. It, it really did create a mood that really was kept the dread of seeing this woman who you knew was going to die at some point, the dread of seeing her and how kind she was and how complicated her love life was. And it was really very, I enjoyed it, man. I, the thing is Quentin Tarantino really does have dialogue down to something that I, I just don't see very often in movies, regardless of how, he can just put random N-words in for no reason. He didn't really do that in this one, which was great. Uh, well, I, I, have a, I have a criticism. I, I think I saw someone patting him on the back for not having any of that particular racial slur in this film. Yeah. But there's also not really any black characters. So No, there's none. I, I kind of feel like we should, we should sort of like offer him a treat, but then yank it away. Because I'm not really <laughs> yeah. sure that that's what you got to do. But yeah, it was definitely a kinder, gentler... Tarantino film in a lot of ways it was kind of sweet which is it was man. an odd thing to say maybe after what you had just watched but for him it felt like it had a uh I don't know it it, it treated the characters more gently maybe than than you were expecting and then you expect from him in particular Steve what'd you think I agree with that um and I don't know overall I thought it was pretty great I mean I, I really liked it I don't know it kind of falls probably you know like John said at the, at the top of the show like it kind of Every time a Tarantino movie comes out, you kind of like look at your list of Tarantino films, and I feel like this is this kind of falls in the middle towards the top for me. Um, you know, of the nine, um, you know, it's somewhere in the middle towards the top five. But I, I, I kind of reacted very positively to the the tone of it. You know, being a little warmer and a little more, uh, I guess, different than you know, like Hateful Eight, for example. Just to being able to look back on that most recently, but. Um, obviously like going into it, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, immediately I'm sold. I mean, who's not, I mean, these are two of my favorite actors and I absolutely love Margot Robbie. Like, I think she's incredible. And for the lack of, uh, dialogue that was criticized, like coming out of Cannes and all this stuff about that character, I, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't get that at all. And I mean, I just feel like there's so much, there's so much else happening with that character that doesn't really, I didn't really feel like needed a lot of dialogue. And I mean, when she does have it, it's very uh, genuine and, and it really kind of means something. Um, but I thought the performances were great. I don't know that Brad Pitt has been better in the last long time. And um, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, you know, you guys know like how much I love that guy. And I, the whole movie was just like, 
he, the performance is great, but even just like how fucking cool he is in that movie, it's just like, it's all, it's off the charts. Like, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's like, yeah. it's not normal. And it's just like, uh, and that just made me love that movie more just cause that hits like the sweet spot for me and my love for him as an actor and just like what seems to be such a cool guy. But, uh, story wise, I, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people that I know like kind of reacted a little more negatively to it. I think cause it's just like kind of a hang movie and you know, there's not a lot of story and there's not a lot of plot until you get towards like the third act of the movie and, you know, kind of towards that building moment. Once that happens, I mean like that's pretty awesome. I think the movie kind of ends pretty incredibly and you know, that's the only thing that I feel like kind of turned some people off. And I didn't really feel that way personally. I was just kind of enamored by the performances and just seeing these actors kind of chew up these scenes and have some pretty great dialogue together. Um, the, the scene with Leo and the child actor on that Western shoot stands out to me. And the entire sequence with Brad uh, at the, uh, at like the, the, what do you call it? The compound where the whole cult is living. I mean, yeah, the, the, oh, yeah. the old movie ranch where where the Manson cult is is like set up camp and yeah. kind of taken over. It it literally like felt like that was building to some sort of horror film. Like it was just like such a great tension filled sequence. Um, just kind of like with these little spurts of like comedy and just like a wink and a, and like a little smile from his character. Like just kind of kept throwing me off as like what's happening with this scene, but in a very positive way. Um, but yeah, man, I, I really liked it a lot. I don't really, I don't really, uh, line up with many of these takes that a lot of people have been having about the movie and, and kind of where its problems lie. I don't, I don't really feel like I came out of it, um, in line with that at all. Um, maybe a little long, you know, but his movies are all kind of long and I, I'm, I'm okay with that going in. So I don't really kind of walk out with it thinking about that, but, um, great performances, great ending, um, and uh, yeah, I sure hope that number ten isn't isn't the last Tarantino movie that we get. <laughs> I mean, that could be hype. <laughs> that could be nothing but hype. I do think that uh, the star power of Brad Pitt and and Leo DiCaprio, but somehow especially Brad Pitt in this movie, it just feels like something from the era of Hollywood that Tarantino is clearly in love with. Oh, definitely. And that this movie is set against, which is that late '60s, early '70s era. It's just so lovingly crafted. The whole movie, that whole sense of kind of going back in time, but then also knowing that whenever Tarantino does a, a a riff on history he kind of rewrites history or, or or says wouldn't it be cool if this happened or like he you, so the whole time you're kind of bracing yourself for what the story might be that that is not exactly what you're going to expect but right. that palpable sense of dread that you guys have talked about that both towards what might happen uh to uh sharon tate on screen you're sitting there the whole movie kind of going i don't want to see this played out i don't want <laughs> i've heard this it's awful it's gruesome it's one of the worst things you can picture uh what happened to her and her friends so you're kind of dreading that and then you're dreading like you said when he goes to the ranch and he's it's this long slow scene where it's you're you're remembering uh brad pitt in in uh burn after reading and going yeah i know filmmakers have have uh have created a lovable brad pitt character and then dispatched him unceremoniously in the middle yeah. of a movie <laughs> yeah. before so you're kind of getting ready for that so it's just 
it's just full of that sense of dread and the way that it builds and builds towards the climax of the movie. And then there is a real catharsis. A lot of times movies have a climax that feels, you, you know, you're supposed to feel a catharsis, but you don't actually feel it. But in this film, I actually felt like it was palpable. And in the end, it was very humanistic. And he gives some of these characters, these doomed characters, like Jay Sebring and Sharon Tate, he gives them real grace notes, these real... Um, I don't know, just very respectful, I thought, and very affectionate and very poignant the way that he handles it. And, um, yeah. you know, the, the, for all the criticisms of her being a an underdeveloped or an underserved character f- for this movie's plotline, that she's just kind of dancing around the edges of it, I thought that she floated through like an angel or a fairy or some kind of magical being that we were meant to see as, as representative of something, maybe, you know, f- of innocence or of sweetness, but also of just being... You said it, Ronald, just a very kind person who has all these wonderful interactions with people. So you do kind of spend a, a good portion of the movie really not wanting to see something bad happen to her um, and and feeling bad about how all that happened. So it did seem like maybe dangerous and possibly disrespectful ground for Tarantino and maybe stories that have been told too much even. It was a question I had. It was whether this was going to be interesting to see. But so much of what he's interested in is this kind of hangout film uh, between Brad Pitt and, and Leo being being friends and about their relationship and about Leo kind of finding himself again as an actor and and then the kind of possibly nefarious reasons that this lovable Brad Pitt character is is uh, is kind of out on his ass. You you sort of get hints of how he might not be a very good guy at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, really complicated, enjoyable movie that I do think is long, and I think it, it played as long, but I, I don't know that there were any scenes that I didn't enjoy. So to me, it seems like I'll call it long, but I'll also say that... I was not begrudging it while it was playing out in front of me. I didn't. I didn't sit there wishing it was shorter. Um, my bladder was a little bit uh, <laughs> uh, of that opinion that it should have been shorter. But as far as getting, uh, you know, getting to soak in this world, I, I really could have watched another half hour yeah, probably. Me too. So yeah, there has been. You talked a little bit about the backlash, Steve, and I think the big thing I wanted to kind of mention with you guys was just to see how you feel about the way that the character of Bruce Lee is handled in this movie. There's been obviously some commentary from Bruce Lee's family who should, I guess, be the main authorities on, on how he should be remembered. But they seem to be viewing the way that Bruce Lee is depicted in the movie as, as a harsh, uh, negative caricature. Uh, I see him as, he's played a little bit like a, a, a fool, but for the purpose of the comedy of the scene he's in. But I don't think that it, it didn't play to me as overly disrespectful. It played to me as just, if you're in the early 70s or late 60s, as this is, um, and you're trying to think, like, who's the ultimate badass? It's Bruce Lee. So if you wanted to say, my character is the ultimate, ultimate badass, what you do is say, he's so badass, he, can, <laughs> he could hold his own against Bruce Lee. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. Um, and to me, that is that is enough of a setup in the kind of, almost like you would make this story up about this guy. If you were telling legends about Brad Pitt's character, you would say, oh, he's such a badass. One time he took on Bruce Lee, and he, he you know, he had him running uh, for his money. So I think that... Um, to me, that didn't seem like he just made Bruce Lee seem like an idiot. But I guess if people are attached to that idea that Bruce Lee was the ultimate badass, then seeing him treated that way probably did seem disrespectful. And for his family to be against it, it does kind of leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. What did you guys think of that particular aspect? I mean, pretty much what you just said. I mean, I, I think something else that I, I, I guess you try to keep in mind is that especially coming out of the theater and seeing that this is another kind of you know, immersion into this revisionist history that Tarantino has done before. It's like also not Bruce Lee. You know what I mean? Like it's also a movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, it's also just a take on a character that he like unabashedly loves. Like he's, you know, an icon to Tarantino and listening to him talk about him. It's like, you know, he's a legend. So I I don't don't know. I, I guess 
I respect, obviously, like you hear, like you said, it doesn't make you feel good that Bruce Lee's family is not happy about it and kind of, you know, dislikes how it was handled. But I mean, I also think about it as like, you know, he's, he is a character, he's an icon in history, but also just a character in a Tarantino movie. This isn't something that is saying like, this is what Bruce Lee was, this, that this is what Bruce Lee was in this story that is obviously not based on something that actually happened. And, you know, where it steps inside and outside of like, you know, real historical bits or real character names or real shows or real whatever, it, it doesn't mean that like, I mean, I don't, at least I don't want to sound selfish, but like, I, I don't, I don't sit there and say, well, that's not, that's not the night that that show aired. Like they can't be watching that that night. Like somebody else was talking about that in an article that I read. And I'm just like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I respect what they have to say, but I also just feel like I just watched a movie that was a made-up fictional film. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel similarly. I, di- I didn't think that it really portrayed Bruce Lee as a chump or anything like that. I mean, he was at the top of his stardom, and he seemed like a very confident guy that told stories like that. It didn't seem that crazy to me. That a, that a bigger man would throw him around and then Bruce Lee would get back up and kick his ass. I, I didn't think that, that that didn't strike me as him being weak when he got thrown into the car, which doesn't give away anything about the entire scene. Right, right. But, yeah, that nothing about that b- bothered me. But I, I guess the idea of, if this is people's only, a younger generation's only interaction with Bruce Lee, be, you know, if you've never seen a Bruce Lee movie, it feels a little strange that this is the thing that they're going to see. That's the only thing that bothers me. You know how kids are, man. Like, they don't see anything old. They don't... Anything that looks a little older weirds them out. So if they're like, oh, this is... I saw Once Upon a Time and Brucey got his ass whipped. He must not have been as cool of... You know, it's just... It's easy for the slander to begin. Sadly, Ronald, the, the, those same people who might only know Bruce Lee through this movie are probably the same folks that I've seen decrying the violence against the Manson family. <laughs> like, we shouldn't be cheering that violence. Oh, man. Get out of here. It does require you to know a little bit of, of what the historical backdrop is, perhaps, to understand what this movie is going to do to kind of play around with what we know. But um, I think that as far as Tarantino's movies having a violence in them and having these outbursts of, of really gruesome violence at times, that sometimes you watch them going, why am I watching this? Or is this unpleasant? Uh, I don't know if you guys have that feeling, but in, in you know, The Hateful Eight and in Django Unchained, there's some gunplay that's just so bloody and so gruesome that, you you know, there's, there is a cathartic aspect to it because of the way Tarantino lays out a plot. But there's also a sense of, like, is this kind of reveling in it in a way that is unhealthy <laughs> almost? But I think that this movie, more even than than his usual makes you think a little bit about that and seems like the movie is itself presenting violence that is saying well do you want to cheer for some violence and not other violence like is this is this movie giving you a chance to really cheer at some violence uh and and in some ways i would say yes hell yes but i also think you're meant to kind of question your own bloodlust um even though I don't, I don't think Tarantino is guilty of what some filmmakers do of kind of showing you a lot of violence and then kind of shaking his finger at you for enjoying it. I think he actually wants you to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, and he wants you to cheer and he wants you to laugh. Uh, and he wants you to see that as a, as a form of, you know, this is the movie's way of releasing tension is these, these moments of violence that punctuate a story where you've been feeling violence lurking around the edges uh, the whole time, both because of the story itself and because of Tarantino's movies. Ronald, how do you think this movie stacks up in the in the pantheon of Tarantino? Um, 
kind of along the lines of what uh, Steve was saying, middle middle to top uh, five. It's it's it did some things emotionally that his movies have never done, and that just spells out growth to me as a director, yeah. as uh, as a writer. It puts it above a lot of movies just because it has a emotional arc. It has some feels in it that I just couldn't have ever imagined. And even some some horror elements that he has put in some movies and some of his movies that didn't quite feel as scary as that ranch scene. That ranch scene felt scary. And what was a small miracle of that is that it all happened in daylight. Creating dread in daylight is, to me, the hardest thing in the world to do. And the fact that he did it in a way that felt like, oh, man, I I hate to be yes. here. What is going on? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's just not done very often and not done well. So it it's higher than I could have ever imagined after thinking about all that stuff. So Yeah, I think I'm pretty much in the same boat. Maybe it would be not just my top five, but my top three. I don't know. I don't really sit down and rank his movies usually, but <laughs> I do think it's in it's in that in that rarefied air for me of like, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and uh, and Inglorious Bastards, which I also really love a lot. I don't know. There's certain movies of his that I would have to see again to really know how I feel about them as as uh, you know lasting pleasures. But I always approach his movies with a bit of excitement about just what he's got up his sleeve, and and it is you know at at this point I have yet to be disappointed in that sense of just each of his movies feeling like there's something that makes it an event. There's something that makes it different. And right now, this movie is just made on such a level with, as we've said, the kind of acting from these stars that are doing some of their career best work, just hands down. Yeah. Um, and that's that in and of itself is so fun to see. Like, there's something kind of electric about the performances in this movie and, and, and what they are calling forth and what they're making you maybe nostalgic for. But it is a fairy tale, and none of it's really real, so you shouldn't get too hung up about the reality of it. Right. Um, but there is a sense that he did his research and he really makes the, you know, the sense that this is all practical and you're not looking at a bunch of CGI stuff and you're actually able to look at, you know, sets and, and, and costuming and, and the way that DiCaprio is doing performance within a performance. He's doing acting of a guy who's acting. Yeah. His acting style is different than, than DiCaprio's acting style. And yet we see different versions of that acting style over the course of the day that this actor is playing these different scenes and we see him kind of building towards this cathartic moment. That's my buzzword for this movie is cathartic. Um, mm -hmm. But the building towards this big moment with the young actress that he had this meaningful conversation with earlier and the way that she's able to break through to him in a way that it doesn't seem like much else has been breaking through to uh, Rick Dalton, the DiCaprio character, the way that builds up, that is a lot of hang time and a lot of long scenes that play around with this idea of him acting and him, him pulling this performance from his gut, but seeing that play out, seeing him kind of, him kind of hit this, this note, this peak that that he didn't know that he could hit. I thought that was really uh, moving in a way that you know you could argue that that shallow, insecure character is a is a sort of a comic character that you chuckle at. But I felt his his emotional struggle as very real, and I I, I was really rooting for him to not you know have it all blow up in his face. Yeah, yeah same, definitely. Man. So in that sense, it's a love letter to to movie making and acting and and you know DiCaprio man, he's just he's got so good. he's got the goods. I, it took me so long to realize that, but now I'm in I'm in I'm in Camp Leo. <laughs> what else have you guys seen? Uh, our last Black Man in San Francisco was the last I think one of the last movies that I saw. I thought it was a beautiful movie with a lot of cool messages. It didn't feel 
so it, it's about gentrification in a way that I just have never seen. Um, it just doesn't attack anybody directly. Just the culture of taking the history away from a, a neighborhood, you know? Yeah. Like not preserving the, the, the life that existed before it and what it represents. And it doesn't take aim at anybody in particular. It doesn't say, you know, rich, rich people who come who come from this particular place. It doesn't really do that. But it pokes fun at people who who kind of plop down into a place and don't know anything about it and, and make a lot of assumptions based on the way that it currently is and don't really know what how it came about. And sometimes when you have the context of all of that, it, it makes a, a lot less easy to just shit on it. Right. Baltimore being one of those examples. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really beautiful movie. I suggest anybody who has a heart see it. I know that sounds weird. It's a bit vulgar. It's not really like a kid's movie per se. It's a lot of vulgarity in it, but it is... It's worth seeing. Yeah, I've been hearing about it and seeing a lot of mentions of it. And honestly, I feel bad that I had, I'd never watched as much as a trailer to give myself a picture of what it was, what type of movie it is, what, whether it's a drama or a comedy or a science fiction movie or, you know, I have no idea. So, so it's interesting yeah, yeah. to hear that, that it's about that subject because that does, <clears throat> that kind of does explain the title to me a little bit if it's about gentrification. Yeah, it, it's, it's home now. So if you want to see it, on and and uh you know iTunes or Voodoo or whatever you use to get movies it's definitely worth checking out so oh no i I've, I've got it on my short list now i'm glad you kind of put it back put it back on my mind cool. what about you guys um past couple like the last week or so i saw i saw crawl which i thought was a really fun time and i thought again alexandra alexander aha aja um just does these great little genre films, man. They're like guilty pleasures, knows what it is, has some great scare sequences, and all the gator stuff in there are just really well done. Um, I'd recommend that for sure if it's still in theaters. If not, it'll probably you know be out on home video in a month or so. Um, yeah, it seems like one that they would get out in time for Halloween at least. Yeah, I mean, but, and, and you know, it was a really fun like seeing that kind of thing, like really fun with an audience kind of movie, which is. Uh, which was a part of the enjoyment of it. Um, but it almost seemed like Paramount didn't know what they had because there was like zero marketing for it, but it got r- pretty great reviews for the kind of movie that it is. And well, don't you, you think knowing what it is is what, what got it there? It, it seems like a very yeah, yeah. self-aware film that yes. is not just aware that it's a B-movie in the way that you know several of his movies have kind of embraced that status, like totally. Piranha. Yes. Uh, uh, what was that? A triple... Three, it was a three triple D. Was that what that movie was called? <laughs> three double D. <laughs> three double D. Yeah, uh, Piranha Three Double D was also very self aware. But then he has done like, didn't he do the um, the Hills Have Eyes remake? Yep. that was very atmospheric and creepy and and unsettling. So that guy definitely is able to create that atmosphere for this very visceral kind of horror. But I also think that one of the things that struck me about it was how simple it was. That yeah. you you see the trailer and you might you might not realize 
how much of what you're seeing is all from one location and one long sequence that plays out. It's not as much of a sort of a town spanning event as you might think, it, it, which I'm, I hope I'm not spoiling anything by saying that the way that it focuses in on, on a very small set of characters and a very localized event, it, to me, was really impressive when I got to the end and realized, oh, wow, he got all that tension out of... Uh, you know, not a realistic scenario exactly, but at least a scenario that didn't have any crazy elements thrown in like, well, these alligators uh, got struck by lightning and they're they're trained to track humans or anything like that. You know, there was nothing about it that was beyond just, okay, you are trapped in a bad situation and there's some alligators making it worse. Right, right. Um, it wasn't uh, mutant alligators or super intelligent alligators or anything like that. I thought that was uh, that was cool. And the the main performances were... You know, just right for this type of movie. I don't really know her from anything, but it was it was cool seeing Barry Pepper in his new grizzled old man phase. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's just like it's super aware of what it is. The trailers are pretty straightforward, but it just almost seems like they could have maybe had a pretty big hit on their hands. And even without it, though, it's it's kind of finding its way to a pretty good box office. People are finding it because of you know this it knowing what it is, and it's pretty straightforward, and it's got some pretty cool scares in it, and some of the sequences are really kind of high tension and um you know that's just oh yes he did high tension also um great movie yeah great movie um but yeah definitely recommend it i also saw hobbs and shaw which i thought was yeah it's okay i mean <laughs> i mean like i re- i really like the the fast and the furious movies but i kind of feel like they're kind of on a downward trend like fate of the furious i didn't think was all that great i still liked it but it it kind of felt a little lacking to me and and this kind of, you know, continued that trend a little bit. I mean, you know, I like The Rock a lot. I mean, there's obviously he's great at what he does, but um, it just kind of felt kind of generic to me. Um, Was Tyrese right? You know, Tyrese shit on. The I mean, movie. I, I don't, like I don't, he... I don't know if he's right or. I mean, I don't think he's right. I mean, because it's got pretty decent reviews, and I mean, it hasn't even opened in China yet, and it's already made like I think almost a half a billion dollars. So. I mean, it's not to the level of the Fast franchise, but this is also a movie that doesn't have anybody else from that franchise in it. You know, it's kind of like yeah. Some people don't even realize it's like a Fast and the Furious spinoff. I think like I f- I literally feel like some people just think it's like a rock action movie. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right because like like one of my friends didn't even realize like what's the Fast and the Furious movie in the theater, and I'm like, oh, it's the Hobbs and Shaw movie. Like, what's that? Like, oh, it's The the Rock and Jason Statham. He's like, oh, oh, that's a Fast and Furious movie? I'm like, yeah, dude, that's a spinoff. But I, I think a lot of people don't maybe don't realize that, but I mean, I don't know. It's okay. Um, and the only other thing I saw was um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I thought was fun. Um, not, not great, but I did really like it, and I thought a lot of the creature effects and practical effects, again, were, was awesome to see that being done. Um... I really like the director, uh, Andre Overdahl, who did The Autopsy of Jane Doe, and he did Troll Hunter. Um, so I'm curious to see what he has coming up next. I think he's working on a Stephen King adaptation. Um, but if you're a fan of the books, like they were like staples in my reading library growing up in elementary school. Like I remember them scaring the shit out of me. Um, you know, some of the best stories from the books are represented in this film, so it's kind of cool to see them come to life, and they are, you know just about as creepy as the illustrations were in the original books when they came out. Um, some of the story device that it's kind of all wrapped around is a little loose to me, but and it's not that great, but the standalone stories and kind of the kids experiencing them, um, 
I thought it worked pretty well. I, I did like it, um, and uh, I'd recommend that too. But uh, those are the three that I've kind of seen in the last week or so. About you, John? Anything else? Oh no, that's pretty much it. That's it, man. Yeah, that's it. That's that's this that's this one. That's this one's yep. done. That's what's done. And hopefully, it won't be another month. But if it is, you know, folks, that's that's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you want to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this if you are uh, subscribed to the podcast that'd be appreciated if it on apple podcasts or uh, any of the platforms that we're currently on which is most of them spotify the google play i guess it is i don't know exactly what that's called now i think it changed names i'm not sure um but yeah we should be there and if we're not let us know uh through facebook facebook.com slash movie or you can email us at movie at gmail.com like John said, hopefully uh, we can kind of get back into the groove of, of doing these every other week. Uh, if not, also, like he said, you've been warned. But uh, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike here, getting into September and October. And uh, it's pretty great to be 17 days away from hopefully seeing It Chapter 2, personally speaking. Um, so hopefully we could talk about that soon. And uh, yeah, it's been good talking to you guys. And do you guys have anything else you want to say or add or mention yeah, I think that's it. thanks for listening yeah thanks, thanks for listening for and uh as always you've made our day thanks